Um, I feel extremely strongly uh, positive about uh, Edward's chances. And actually, let's just get into it because I, I kind of want to talk about that. Let's jump on it. Yeah. All right. Get it live. Everybody, fuck it. We'll do it live. Live. Welcome to the November 16th edition of Cascadian Views. I'm here with Dan, and uh, we're we're kind of following the uh, Louisiana governor's election as it happens. They are slowly releasing the early vote down there, uh, and we'll have uh, day of votes tall- uh, tallied in like 15 minutes, I think, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I think it should be very soon. Uh at least the earliest reports I'm seeing, it looks like it was uh, some record day election day turnout, as well as some very solid early voting as well. And uh, Edwards is easily hitting his targets um, for the early vote. Uh, in fact, he's substantially outperforming them in a lot of areas of the state. East Baton Rouge went by went for Edwards in the early vote by nearly 20,000 votes, two to one uh, above Eddie Raspone. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of LA five, that congressional district, which was, um, really the heartland for, and forgive me, I forget his name, but one of the Republicans in the, the jungle, primary. the other one, uh, Cong- Congressman, I think Abraham, I want to say, no, I, I think it was the other one, the third, okay. one. uh, the, the super Trumpy one. Yeah. But anyway, uh, his voters appear to have just stayed home, uh, in that Louisiana five congressional district that was really his heartland, uh, Edwards took 11% on election day. He's up to uh, 18% for the early vote in this election. And New Orleans, or Orleans Parish, the county mm-hmm. equivalent that holds New Orleans, has not reported a single early vote yet. And Wowza. we're only down by, by 4%, uh, 3.6% as of now. So by the time that they finish counting the early vote, we will be in the lead. And looking pretty good to hold this one. It'll be close, but... I like Edwards' chances more now than I did at this point yesterday. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic because I think as we've seen in a lot of these off-year elections or even elections where it's you know a trifecta or not, you can just completely change the character of a government very quickly if an election goes the wrong way. I mean, Kentucky we saw last week – not last week, I guess. Yeah, it was two weeks ago now, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, where uh, Matt Bevin had come in and he, you know, basically made things so much more difficult for people to access, you know, the services that uh, the former governor Bashir had made pretty widely available. I mean, for you know, the main thing, of course, was making you know, the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare and the Medicaid expansion uh, a very solid program that you know people could access and. You know, Bevin came in and he promised to scrap it. And then when he didn't quite do that, he, uh, you know, reduced the funding for it and he applied uh, work requirements, I believe, was uh, the main thing. Very onerous work requirements and uh, just really, really terrible stuff. So, yeah, you get a, a, ra- a race like that uh, can change things very quickly. And, uh, I think one of the things that went well last time when Bell Edwards got elected was he also, like Governor Bashir before him, brought in the Medicaid expansion and made life a lot easier for a whole lot of people. We're uh, we're starting to get some election day vote now. Actually, um, they're already up to nearly five hundred thousand votes or over five hundred thousand votes counted in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might even know before the end of the show who gets. No elected. kidding. 
Yeah. That is wild. Uh, let's see if I can pull up a good site for county. You're looking at the New York Times, right? Yeah, I've got the New York Times up. Yeah, that always tends to make my Chrome go nuts. Well, let me see what I got. Anywho. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the other things we were going to talk about this week is that we uh, we had the start of televised impeachment hearings uh, in the House. We had two days worth so far. The first day had a, a couple veteran diplomats, uh, Taylor and Kent, um, who really, I thought, performed well, although the media had this weird fascination with there wasn't any pizzazz. Yeah. I think NBC and ABC both ran with that description. Uh-huh. Just, it was too boring, so we're not going to pay any attention to the substance, you know, the, the very important things that are actually either being revealed for the first time or being said in public for the first time. Yeah, it, uh, it was strange. And the Republicans also, um, at least from my perspective, seemed to try to derail the whole shebang pretty early. Before they mm-hmm. even got into asking any questions or introducing the witnesses or anything like that, they made, I, I think I counted a dozen parliamentary inquiries, uh, just yeah. really looking to derail the entire thing. Yeah, just kind of the typical kind of clownish behavior we're used to from Devin Nunes and uh, Jim Jordan. They even yeah. tried to make a motion to bring the Bidens in at the, the start of the testimony. Right. Which, again, how is that even relevant to what – well, I mean, I guess it's relevant if you want to use you – know, to kind of follow the purpose that Trump had in doing his scams in the first place, which is throwing dirt at the president's political rival. Yeah. Uh, the other bit of testimony was from uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch who is a career State Department uh, employee diplomat. And it it started a little bit uh, controversially in that Trump started tweeting about her uh, as the the testimony was going on, uh, talking about how they sent her to, you know, shithole places like Somalia and how did that turn out. Uh, you know, just to, when she was 28 years old. Yeah. yeah. Also, just to counter that, we send the good diplomats to places like Somalia because right. they're such a problem. Like, exactly. If you're a shitty diplomat, we appoint you ambassador to Luxembourg or something. If it's easy. Well, or <laughs> as it turns out, the European Union. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't have thought that, but you're 100% right. Uh, yeah. That's another little bit uh, that came about. On multiple occasions, Sondland uh, was pushed up to the perjury line in the public testimony. And then we had a closed-door testimony that leaked in about half a second, uh, which I feel pretty strongly has him dead to rights in perjury. Uh, He said he never talked to Trump about the investigation in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, and he never talked to Trump about Biden. There is a career State Department official who testified under oath to Congress that not only did Sondland spend a few minutes bragging about how he was going to talk to the president, but Sondland's phone was too loud, apparently, and he had to hold it out at arm's length so everybody at the table could hear it, at which point he proceeds to talk to the president about how Zelensky is going to uh, go on TV and announce an investigation into the Bidens. 
I, I, it wasn't the he loved his ass or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was also that one, and yeah. the Kardashians <laughs> featured in that testimony as well. No, I'm oh my not God. kidding. <laughs> well, Kanye will be there. Oh, that's that's the thing. You yeah. got to get him in there. <laughs> <laughs> Just gets more Kafkaesque as the, yeah. the days go by. Um, and we have more closed-door testimony that took place today. There was a career State Department. No, not State Department. A career office of management and budget, OMB, uh, official who came in under oath to testify about how uh, Mulvaney told him that the uh, the president had put a hold on the aid, which is something the president had denied doing. Hmm. So, hmm. Looking good for Trump. Yeah, I think he's had another good week. Just only the best weeks, Dan. Only the best yeah. weeks. Perfect, perfect week, you know. Yeah, well, it's been great for all these players all around. I mean, we get America to get a closer look at, again, clowns like Jim Jordan. Uh, another one who had been previously a little more obscure was uh, Elise Stefanik, who uh, made a clown out of herself multiple times with some of these staged events. And, Just you know, completely. Yeah, well, what's fantastic, I guess, is her opponent has – received a major boost in her fundraising in the last day or so. I think she's at least well over half a million dollars in fundraising yesterday. I want to say I heard $600,000 uh, in yeah. 24 hours. That's She, she also has more fantastic. Twitter followers now than the least defendant. <laughs> the internet dick measuring contest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a close enough district there, too. So she might have just... Uh, while auditioning to be, you know, a Trump buddy, she may have uh, shortened her congressional career considerably. Yeah, um, we we had a few a few very angry Republicans. Jim Jordan uh, at one point was screaming at people. Uh, there was another Republican whose name escapes me now, who uh, just kept repeating, "You're done." over and over again to Yovanovitch when she was trying to expand on an answer. Meadows, uh, Mark Meadows. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Freedom Caucus guy. That's the you lie guy from the Obama years, isn't it? Yeah. It, no, no, no. That was, uh, what was his name? It's also from South Carolina, though, but not, I don't think that was Meadows. Okay. Let's see here. Yeah. You lie. <laughs> I'll find it. Let's see here. Joe Wilson. Joe Wilson. Okay. Yeah. That's who that was. Is he still in Congress? Holy, he still is. Good grief. Is he still as anti-presidential lying as he was back then? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess that's a no. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the end of the Yovanovitch testimony was a little interesting in that she got a standing ovation, which mm -hmm. uh, really seemed to put the Republicans on the back foot. Another thing that really put them on the back foot was the president's tweeting, because Schiff managed to work that into the the hearings real time. Yeah. Like he was he was straight up reading off a phone the things uh, Trump was saying about Yovanovitch, clearly tying them into the the smear campaign to remove her against the U.S. national interest so that this corrupt, you know, drug deal, as Bolton put it, could go through. Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely throws off what I think could have been the smartest move for a witness like that, which is basically to 
thank her for her service and say, you know, the president can dismiss any witness he wants, or not dismiss, dismiss any ambassador he wants, and he's got a right to staff his people, and there's nothing corrupt about that, and just let it go. But instead, you've got you know Trump angrily tweeting about it the whole time and trying to get other witnesses scared. You know, nobody better be talking to Congress about my crimes, my very good crimes, <laughs> my perfect crimes. Read the transcript. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just making a real asshole of himself as usual, but yeah, good times. The, uh, the hearings are going to continue for the foreseeable future, right? They don't have a definite end date at this point. Oh no. I, I think, yeah, that just, it's open-ended. I would expect they're going to want to try and get to a conclusion. I would think before the end of the year, but yeah, there's no hard end on that. When's the, the next scheduled hearing? Are you aware of Let's that? Let's see here. I can find that real quick. I think they have it even next week. I, I, aren't they supposed to bring Sondland in next week again? Like for public? I, I believe see. so. That, 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 uh, what's it say? Although if I were Sondland, I would maybe refuse to come. This yeah, talk to his lawyer for a little bit longer and get his shit together. But let's see here. Uh, damn New York Times. <laughs> Paywall. Nonsense. Your business insider has a schedule. Yeah, there we go. Tuesday the 19th, uh, they have Jennifer Williams, who's an advisor to Mike Pence, and they have Vindman, the NSC official, uh, who, who worked on the, uh, the call, I believe, right? The yes, that sounds right. Uh, complaint. He was the one that they were always saying he was a spy for Ukraine because I think he was born there or something like that. Yeah, his parents fled the Soviets as refugees. Right, yeah, he was on the National Security Council. Do you remember so he was, when oops. Republicans used to like just hold up communist refugees? You know, just parade them around <laughs> everywhere? Basically made a national television commercial out of the Cuban community in Florida? Right, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, remember when it, that was the Republican Party? Big, made a big deal out. I think it was Solzhenitsyn back in the seventies. Yeah, now it's uh, you, know, you know, now that Putin is Trump's buddy, it's uh, you know anyone who has a problem with you know the regime or you know is suspect. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sondland's on Wednesday. Looks like also on Tuesday, Kirk Volker and Tim Morrison. Morrison is a former NSC staffer, uh, and then Thursday we've got Fiona Hill, the senior director of the NSC for Russian and Eurasian affairs. So, well, that yeah, that sounds like a pretty nice TV week coming up. Absolutely. Yeah. The mm. uh, the other bit of national news we have is uh, there was a flurry of court activity, uh, and one I didn't mention, but we'll cover it in this topic because it happened in a court. Uh, Roger Stone got a lot of jail time. Well, is getting a lot of jail time. He was yeah. convicted of five counts. Seven, seven, seven counts, seven charges. It was, it was all it, but, the charges. Exactly, everything. Um, which lying is a to bit Congress, of a obstruction of justice, witness tampering. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, th there were indications the jury was not quite sure about one of the charges. Uh, one of the more hyper technical charges, they wrote several notes to the judge requesting clarification on that, including whether a written report uh, counts as testimony, which was a 
technical requirement for some of that, and there was a lot of thought that you might get off on that one and be convicted of all the rest of them. But no, they 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 got him on that one too. <laughs> um, one of the I, I think funnier aspects of all this is that Roger Stone as Somebody with lots of money, even though we're not entirely sure where a lot of it came from, uh, lived among other people with lots and lots of money, including some professional athletes. Uh, Chad Ochocinco, I think mm-hmm. is his name, uh, is Roger Stone's next-door neighbor, and he has had a, a couple of good Twitter reactions. One, he was amazed to see the FBI come and arrest Stone when it actually happened. Uh, he posted on Twitter like, man, they came and got my neighbor Roger. The FBI kicked down his door and everything. <laughs> and then just the other day when it came down, he was tweeting about how his homie Roger was getting locked up for for like ever. <laughs> <laughs> that that amused me to no end. Uh, I, I just, I don't really see Roger Stone staying in there. I mean, Trump has to bark. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, if this I think... is a conspiracy to hide the ship, shit trump did trump has to like honor that conspiracy well that and, you can't let stone flap in the wind stone knows too much uh, exactly and they're also you know, probably personally closer than trump ever was with manafort i mean manafort was basically a mercenary but you know he had an ongoing relationship with roger stone for you know going back years and years so yeah i think if anyone is going to get the pardon you know that's not you know Junior or <laughs> Jared Kushner, then yeah, I think it's going to be Stone. I, I think he'd probably more likely to pardon Kushner than he would be Junior. Just, <laughs> just putting my personal feelings out there. That's yeah, like a safe bet. Yeah, well, he's I guess he's mass buying Junior's book to pop up his sales. So I, I, I'm not entirely clear it's him, but uh, the Republicans might be. Right. Uh, so th- th- there was a dagger on the New York Times listing, which means that there were suspicious bulk orders. <laughs> uh, they still list the books. So they just put that little dagger there to let everybody know there might be something up with that. Uh, and when people were looking at who might be bulk ordering them, there was uh, a little bit about how if you donated more than $50 to the RNC and the Trump re-election campaign, their like, joint account thing that they're allowed to do under the law, you got a free, free copy of Junior's book. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Which leads me to believe that they're not only buying Junior's book from the publisher, but they're then flipping it for like way more money than it was worth. You can buy that book for, I think it's going for nineteen ninety nine at the stores. They're selling it to people for 50 bucks. They're not only mass buying Junior's book, they're then turning a profit on it. <laughs> John Bell Edwards just took the lead in Louisiana. Oh, uh, sweet. I believe that's going to mean, yep. Uh, um, I don't know if it's all of the early vote, but 44,000 early votes just came in from Orleans Parish. Oh, hey. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Let's see here. Refresh. Yeah, there we go. There we go. 44% reporting. Nice. Yeah. We're getting there. And that's still, uh, wow, there's a lot of votes yet to count out there. It's just Especially in New Orleans. There's a lot. I'm feeling extremely positive. About Edward's chances. It's not a done deal. Like, don't get complacent, everybody. But yeah. this is looking very, very good. Yeah. Very nice. That's good to see. Especially since Trump was there, you know, what, just this week again. And at least once. Early, he was there this week. He was there 
for the LSU game, I want to say, well, that was in Alabama, but I think he went there after. So yeah, yeah, he's definitely invested some of his political mojo on. This would be uh, the second state in in two weeks to reject a last minute Trump rally and elect a Democrat. Yeah, I, I totally hope that he said something along the lines that he had in Kentucky about you know, you know, this is you do it for me. I'll be embarrassed if you don't. Um, kind of on that note, did you notice the um, extremely unusual medical visit Trump had today? I seen a little bit about that on Twitter that he was you know just briefly taken in that they were doing. There's a very elaborate cover story that makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's enough that somebody just told me he had you know a medical appointment that was unscheduled. I, I wouldn't be all that bothered by it. It happens all the time. I had an emergency tooth removal this uh-huh. week. Like, sure, shit happens. Um, but no, they they said he was going in. Uh, he was going to be very busy this year, and at the last minute, they decided to bring him in and do some tests that they could stretch his physical out over multiple visits. Uh, but apparently, they have everything they need to run the test in the White House medical staff and, and medical facilities, and they chose to bring him to Walter Reed anyway. And like three different presidential doctors are saying they've never heard of anybody, you know, stretching it out, and that they've even been able to get physicals on the plane while moving in, in case of schedule conflicts and whatnot. And it's just it, there's some sort of weird cover up going on that, that makes me a little bit. What you hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And a unsettling. That, that ties into what I was just going to say is how, how like big of a hit on his mental health will it have to be to have two states reject him? That, that's yeah. That, and with impeachment swirling around just this very public rejection, it, he's so ego driven that it makes me really, really fearful almost about what's yeah. going to happen. There's only so much that those psychological barriers that, you know, a narcissist puts up can really hold. So, yeah, that much kind of confirmation that the rest of the world has a low opinion of him, too. I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit frightening. The other yeah. court cases uh, all roundly went against the president. There were two cases uh, over his tax returns. One was the case out of New York. The other one was the case out of D.C. There was a third case that was out of D.C. about his New York case. That one was just thrown out altogether. Uh, The New York one, the appeals court uh, redacted the president's argument. The president has now appealed it to the Supreme Court, uh, arguing that he's immune from these state investigations into him uh, by prosecutors. That he doesn't have to, you know, be involved in any of this, and that his attorneys, well, his um, accountants aren't required to turn over his uh, tax returns. The other case uh, involves a House Democrat subpoena uh, for the impeachment inquiry of his tax return. He has now appealed both those cases to the Supreme Court after losing at the appeals court level. What do you think his odds are at the Supreme Court? Well, I think the Precedent is pretty clear that uh, he is still subject to all these, you know, sorts of civil proceedings. I mean, that's what they're trying to assert here. Was attempted, you know, the Clinton White House attempted to assert that back in the '90s, and they were also rejected. That kind of led to everything else because what 
Clinton was eventually impeached for was allegedly perjuring himself in those proceedings. I mean, he had to testify. He had to take part and he had to provide evidence. That was, you know, pretty big deal. And he was the president. And he said, you know, I shouldn't have to do this. Well, you know, the court said otherwise. So if there's going to be any kind of consistency here again, you would think that they would follow that precedent. You know, it's a little difficult to say again. I, I keep banging this drum that, you know, Roberts is priority is basically the the perception of the court. And if he can maintain that, he will do whatever he wants and be as hackish as he wants, as long as he doesn't feel like it's going to make people th think worse of the court than they already do. So uh, this is one of those where it's a little bit more inside baseball. It might not be so directly covered, but, and not might not weigh so heavily on him in that way, especially if there's other distracting things going on, but at the same time, we're right smack in the middle of impeachment. If that kind of gets tied in it in the public mind, then maybe Roberts will stand up and do the right thing and, you know, stand, you know, with the lower courts and, you know, force Trump to, or I guess force these uh, other entities to disgorge the documents that have been requested. So, yeah, it's, yeah. I hate you know, I, legal realism is not a popular position, but <laughs> there's a reason that it's still. I mean, no, nobody really likes it because it it kind of tears up the one institution that we still have, at least in our government, that we don't think has been completely swallowed up by partisanship. But the fact of the matter is, it's already there. It's been there. It's been decades there. So. I don't know. I really have very, very little confidence in Roberts doing the right thing. Pretty much any case, unless there's a really compelling reason. Yeah, we will definitely see because I think there's no way the court can dodge taking up cases, right? No, I think they've got to answer it. You know, they've got otherwise. It would be a sneaky way to vote against Trump without actually voting against Trump. By just letting it stand from the lower court? Yeah. Both the appeals court have agreed with the. Well, in one case, the Manhattan DA, in the other case, with the, the House Democrats, are just not right. touching the case. They can let those decisions stand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they could. Oh, well, And, and mm. Roberts is really, really good when he does want to, to take an opinion without you know getting everybody mad at the court. You know, yeah. Finding a way to slink out of saying anything and just let the lower court stand is one that he's very well versed in. Well, I think the other the other conservatives though can still grant cert even if Eight, Roberts doesn't votes, sign on. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to be six three. Exactly. So as long as you you assume that you know Thomas and Kavanaugh and you know Alito, yeah, I, yeah, I think the only again the only question is really Gorsuch of the other four apart from apart from uh, John Roberts. So yeah. That should be a fun day at the court when those times come when those come around. Uh, Edwards is down by 329 votes now at 56 percent reporting. It is close as hell. Yeah, and still, still a hell of a lot to go in Orleans and, and Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I mean, he's now down by 3,000 votes at 60 percent reporting. But I'm. I'm actually. I'm feeling very bullish about this. I, yeah. I have very good feelings about this. Looking at the numbers. Sure. 
Uh, I guess we'll we'll get to our our local topic that we're going to go into, and that is a a long stalled plan to replace the over one hundred year old bridge across the Columbia, the I five bridge, the interstate bridge between Portland and Vancouver, is apparently back on the table. Uh, we've been planning this literally for decades at this point. The bridge has needed to go for a while. It's a one hundred year old drawbridge, so. You know, not really exactly what you want to be a major part of your na- national infrastructure. I-5 is one of the busiest highways in the country. Uh-huh. Um, the project died about 10 years ago. Um, we were going to get matching funds from the feds. Oregon was going to pay a part, and Washington was going to pay a part. Your legislature decided to zero out the funding for that. That yeah. was to go pound sand. Uh, and a year later, we did, in fact, go pound sand and decided to just abandon the project since you guys weren't going to pay for it. Uh, Inslee and Brown have been wanting to uh, rekindle that and get that moving again. They are meeting on Monday in Vancouver, Washington, on just that topic. Uh, it was large part opposition from within Vancouver that killed it. Uh-huh. Um, part of the way we were going to get even more federal matching funds was to incorporate the light rail across the bridge, the Portland Max, uh, or TriMet Max, as we call it down here. Um, and Vancouver was very much not happy with that. Right. Uh, they thought it would bring undesirables from Portland into town, was I think one of the quotes. <laughs> as opposed to going the other way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a Vancouver politician position to take. Really, really does. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's some talk about getting that moving now. Democrats do, I believe, now have a trifecta in Washington, right? That is right. I mean, that's uh, one of the things that's changed since uh, Washington told Oregon to you know, go do something else with itself. Uh, so we have uh, liberated our Senate from you know the uh, grimy Republican hands and turncoat Democrat hands that had held it for you know a good portion of the decade and also broken the very narrow uh, very very narrow majority sis- uh, situation that there was in the house to now pretty overwhelming or at least very comfortable majorities in both houses for Democrats so now there's a trifecta so hopefully there will be a more reasonable approach. There will not be quite the kind of gridlock that has held things up to that extent in the past. I am uh, slightly less uh, concerned about the the light rail portion now. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to Portland, I used to take uh, the Max as far north as it would go and then hop a Vancouver bus fairly often because Oregon had legalized marijuana but actually hadn't opened up the... Uh, the like commercial for sale places. Mm-hmm. So me and my buddies used to get together and like once a week or so just hop on over to Vancouver, hit up one of the stores, and then come back. <laughs> Having a train go right there would have been super convenient. Oh yeah. <laughs> now that we have our own stores and they're cheaper than the Washington stores, and a surplus. So <laughs> seven years worth. Good grief! Yeah. The. Uh, the plans that I'm seeing now don't include any sort of drawbridge access, which uh, is going to mean this bridge is going to have to be fucking huge. Uh, the Columbia is navigable far, far, farther inland than really any other river uh, because it's so slow and shallow and they dam it up all the fucking time along its length. There's, like, I believe you can sail ships up into fucking Canada. Wow. Yeah, so uh, there's quite a bit of shipping 
that that comes underneath that bridge. Uh, if they're not going to have a drawbridge, they're going to have to have something like the Astoria Long Beach Bridge, which is just like half a mile up in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'll look Dang. impressive. <laughs> I kind of want to see what they do with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, I think that's, that's going to do it. Uh, we're all going to go follow the uh, Louisiana election. I hope you guys yeah. do. We'll talk about it's it next week. Very exciting here. Yeah, we're at the 70% reporting. So, all right. And nothing has come in from Orleans in like half an hour, I swear to God. Yeah, it's still down to, looks like 99 out of 351. Yep. So a lot of votes yet to count there, and, and everywhere else is coming in pretty... Pretty good for Edwards. I mean, he's he's holding the margins where he needs to yeah. hold the margins. We'll cross our fingers, and we'll, uh, I guess we'll check in next week. <laughs> yeah. Have a good week, everybody. All right, later. Bye.